Good morning. Uh, I, I'm wearing a chitinji cloth, which is what women in Malawi, Africa, wear to protect their own clothes or carry their babies on their back. Um, so I'm really glad to be here today to talk about our St. John's trip to Malawi, Africa. Malawi, located in Southeast Africa, is one of the world's poorest countries where 40% of young children are stunted due to undernutrition, and only 4% graduate from high school. Malawi is also the home of Father Francis Matumba, whom many of you have met when he has preached here at St. John's. Raised by a grandmother who has very little money, Francis overcame extreme poverty and very poor educational odds to get a graduate level education. Looking back on his life, he elected to help others have the same opportunities he did. And so when he asked me to help support the educational programs at Agape Farm in Malawi, I said yes, I had to commit. And so did parishioners June Sullivan, Ann Doyle, Evan Erickson, and community members Robin Dolan and Debbie Rhodes. And when we asked for your help, you said yes in so many grand and tangible ways, through your treasure and talent and the many donated goods we took to Malawi. Agape Farm feeds, clothes, and educates 90 children from preschool through high school. It holds weekly games and activities for hundreds more. It facilitates women's and men's groups and raises crops and animals to support its activities. Before I pass the podium to June and then Chris, I would like to close with the story of Evaness. She is one of the participants in Agape Farm Hands uh, Girls High School Education Program. Note, when a girl goes to high school, not only is she learning, but she's also delaying marriage and childbirth. So Evanis is a 15-year-old girl who lives at Agape Farm in the hostel while in school. Her household includes her parents and three older brothers, none of whom could complete high school due to the annual school fees of $100. Their house has a dirt floor, no blankets, no plates, and only one pot to cook the one meal that they eat per day. They have no electricity, making it impossible to study at night. At Agape Farm, Evanis sleeps on a mattress with blankets and has sufficient food and clothing and shoes and school supplies. And she now ranks number two in her class and is really proud of her performance. At the end of our discussion, which was really more of an interview, I asked her if she had any questions for me. And she paused and she asked very seriously, could you help my parents? It was devastatingly honest and so beautifully generous. While we cannot support her family, 
we will continue to support her to find a profession, a line of work to help lift herself and her family up. Thank you for joining us, St. John's. Thank you for joining us in making a profound and life-changing impact on the life of Evanis and so many more children who you will never meet. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As we say in Malawi, Mulbanji. That's good day, hello, how are you? Or Bobo if you want to be very familiar. I wonder if you are like I am when you're going somewhere new. I spend a lot of time imagining what it will be like, and this certainly was the case as I prepared to travel to Africa. After three and a half days of travel, we landed in Lalongwe, the capital of Malawi, just as the sun was setting. Father Francis and our driver, Matthias, met the nine of us, and we loaded our personal luggage and at least 10 additional suitcases of donations into our van for the two-hour ride drive to Senga Bay, where we would be staying on Lake Malawi. We happened to arrive on July 6th, the day they celebrate, and it, coincidentally, we left on July 4th or July 3rd, so our Independence Day, but July 6th is the day that they celebrate uh, their independence from British rule nearly 60 years ago. I mention this for two reasons. The first of which is that there were a lot of people who were coming to the city for celebrations and many of them were making their way home. I was struck by the number of people who were walking alongside the road for miles and miles and miles in the dark. The only light that we could see lights that we could see were those of the other vehicles on the road and the occasional glow of a solar light glowing in the distance. There were, however, little fires burning near the roadway and our driver explained that they were little outdoor wood fires that people built to cook their food and to warm themselves. They were everywhere and the air quality was similar to that uh, that we experienced during large forest fires here in California. It wasn't until we got to Salima and saw signs of that we saw signs of electricity and that the air quality improved. This was my introduction to the long list of issues this country is dealing with, and in the daylight, it was even more apparent. Malawi, as Amy stated, is one of the 10 poorest countries in the world. It was a British colony for over 70 years, and there are few signs other than the English language that is spoken that the Brits um, left, and, and what, that the Brits uh, did anything to improve the infrastructure and the lives of the people of this country. The line in this morning's gospel, for all those who have, more will be given, but for those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away, certainly resonates. I'd like to share some of my observations and reflections with you. Each day we would head to the farm, which was an hour away from where we were staying in Sango Bay. Along the way, 
there was a constant stream of people traveling alongside the main road. Most were on foot, uh, the women balancing large loads atop their heads, young children traveling unaccompanied, people pushing bicycles with huge loads of wood or sugar cane or lengths of pipe or whatever goods they were uh, going to take to market. All along the way, there were people selling their wares, anything to bring some revenue. Tomatoes were in season, and there were multitudes of tomatoes which were neatly stacked in little pyramids for sale all along the road. Carts drawn by oxen or donkeys were a form of transportation, as were bicycles and bicycle taxis. Or perhaps there were large trucks with multitudes of people crammed into the bed. The conditions of the main road, the, the conditions of the main road were satisfactory, but the road we turned off onto to get to the farm was riddled with potholes. Our journey would have taken half the time if there had not been, if we had not had to navigate them. It was a bit like Mr. Toad's ride as we swerved to and fro all trying to avoid the oncoming traffic who were doing the same. And then there were the goats darting in front of the oncoming traffic. Certainly the majority of the population are not able to afford motor vehicles. And twice while we were there, there was a shortage of fuel. Amy told you a little bit about Agape Farm and how we got involved. And I'd like to tell you a little bit about the people who work there and those who benefit from the programs. Like most everything in Malawi, the farm is very rural. People come by foot from nearby villages, sometimes walking many, many miles. The participants of our early childhood program, our programs for ch uh, school-age children and our programs for teenage girls are all all the participants are referred to us by the village chief and, were vet and are vetted by our staff. Most of the time their families cannot afford to feed them or send them to school. At Agape Farm, they are fed a meal, receive educational support, participate in activities, and receive the support of a dedicated staff. You can only imagine what a novelty we were when, everywhere we went. Certainly many of the children and maybe even some of the adults had never seen a white person before. And a couple of the very little children were terrified by us. I can't even begin to tell you how it warmed my heart to see all those beautiful, curious little faces staring at us so full of wonder. It didn't take long before we were included. On Saturdays, there's a program called Children's Corner and any child from the village can attend. Word got out that there were some white visitors on the farm, and we had 180 kids show up for fun and games. We taught them the hokey pokey and head, shoulders, knees, and toes, and they, taught, and they thought that was hilarious. <laughs> then they included us in some of their song and dance, and that was even more hilarious. I was dancing in a circle with a group of children, and we were holding hands and moving toward the center and back again, and I kept feeling something bumping into my back. When I looked to see what it was, I discovered a that the little girl next to me
had a baby tied to her back, and it was the baby that was bumping into my back. There are so many instances of children taking care of children in Malawi. We had the opportunity to visit villages and meet with the village chiefs and villagers. The purpose of these visits was to be more familiar with the lives of our beneficiaries. Father Chris described in his recent article, uh, Connect article, the conditions of the living situations, and Amy alluded to that as well. Best to say, it was a sobering experience. In stark contrast to the way we live, these people have nothing. But hearing that they were receiving foreign visitors, they all came out to greet us. We were then treated to the women sharing with us their joyful song and dancing. Despite their struggles, they are not poor in spirit. We witnessed this in the church service that we attended as well. Singing and dancing creates great joy. I could go on and on, and if we were in Malawi, the three-hour service would be the norm, but I'll spare you. I would like to leave you with a few last observations and reflections. It's difficult to fathom the vast contrast between the way we live and the way our brothers and sisters in Malawi live. Are they happy? I don't believe that those who struggle to provide the bare essentials for their children are happy, but they can certainly find reasons to be joyful. What we're doing to help Agape Farms is just a drop in the bucket in the grand scheme of issues in Africa, but it's one of the most rewarding feelings I have ever had. I have a new family halfway around the world, and I thank God for giving me this opportunity, and Amy for leading the charge. Thank you. Thank you both for those uh, reflections. We had other members of the church uh, on our trip and um, the Ailey family that attends the nine o'clock and some others. As you've been hearing, it's such a powerful experience. This was my third trip to Malawi, but in many ways the most intense, the first time we really got to work since the beginning of um, Agape Farm and really deeply experience uh, the rural villages there. One of the great honors of being a, a priest and going to another part of, so the Episcopal Church is part of the Worldwide Anglican Communion, so we're in full communion with the Anglican Church in Malawi, and Francis, of course, is an Anglican priest. So that means I get to participate in church services and help lead them in Malawi, which is a really powerful experience. Um, we went to two churches. I got to preach uh, mostly at the first one and a little bit um, at the second one. As June alluded to, two Sundays ago, we were at the cathedral in Nkota Kota for what turned out to be a three-hour liturgy <laughs> with an impassioned sermon, in, all in a foreign language except for the few lines I said. Uh, Father Francis preached an impassioned 35-minute sermon in Chichewa. And you listen to him preach, and you listen to the preaching there, and it's not your typical Anglican Episcopal Church preaching. And you like, you're like, oh, 
that's where the black church comes from. That's where the black church comes from. But the liturgy itself is very much the vestige of what was given by the missionaries. It's very high church in that part of uh, Africa. That's who evangelized uh, that area. So in many ways, it's a very traditional service. The men sit on one side, the women sit on the other side. Only those who have been confirmed uh, take communion. Uh, like I said, uh, long, long service. The, tw the announcements alone were 25 minutes, <laughs> including a report from uh, the vestry secretary on the amounts of the collection the previous Sunday. And I, I said to someone after the service, like, I would lose my job if our announcements were 25 <laughs> minutes long. I would also lose my job if our service was three hours long. People here like, like, okay, it's been an hour. Are we done? <laughs> and I get that. Um, several years ago when we were there, I heard someone told me a phrase that said, Africans don't have watches, but Africans have time. Americans have watches, but Americans don't have time. And there's such a different concept of time. Part of the reason church is three hours long is because that's what you do on Sunday. That's how you gather. That's how you be in community. And uh, there aren't a gazillion children's sports practices to get to, or the farmer's market's not about to close, or whatever. It's such a different life and a very different concept of time. We were talking with one of the wardens at the cathedral, and he's like, yeah, Francis is like you Americans. He's always like, hey, it's time to start, or we need to, we need to finish this meeting. He's just like you Americans now. And I, we have an amazing music program here. And the singing in Malawi in church, no instrumentation, maybe drums, maybe clapping, a lot of polyrhythmic clapping, the African singing in the midst of this very traditional Anglican liturgy in a culture where everyone grows up singing and singing in the villages, in the homes is part of, part of how they tell their story, part of how they teach their history. And the singing is insane. It is amazing. And I just love this mix of of kind of vestige of colonial Anglican liturgy with this impassioned black church preaching and this amazing singing that is so deeply representative of who they are. And at the two churches I spoke at, I shared something I've shared here, which is a saying by one of my seminary professors that was, it takes the whole world to know the whole gospel. It takes the whole world to know the whole gospel. And so part of what we were doing was going and encountering the wholeness of the gospel in Malawi so that we could encounter Jesus in a new way and see the face of Christ as they see it. And when Francis comes here, he shares with us the perspective of the gospel from life in Malawi. And what I said at both services to raucous applause at both was that we come from different cultures. We have different backgrounds, different histories, vastly different resources. But what we celebrate is that we're all part of one tribe in Christ. We're all part of one people. And that meant so much to them. 
again and again and again, people kept saying, please remember us. Please tell your people about us. Just like us, they want to be known. They want to be acknowledged. And of course, these are people living in such extreme poverty. As I wrote in Connect, if you imagine a mud brick house the size of an SUV, about that footprint, that has four or five, six people living in it, with maybe one or two changes of clothing, a fire outside, minimal sleeping mats, no electricity, no running water. Most of the people that Agape Farm serves are subsistence farmers. Some have jobs, some do little things to try and make money. One of the employees there who's also in the men's group collects and sells empty water bottles for his livelihood. We were a boon to him that week, of course, because we had lots of empty water bottles. It's still hard for me to get my head around the poverty and what life is like for the people there. And as Amy and June said, but also the joy, the joy that they can find in life, the hospitality in welcoming us to their villages. In the midst of pain and disease and incredible poverty, there's also a sense of joy in their lives that they want to share. And uh, it was really powerful. So I want to close by sharing a story. The Agape Farm has a men's group, as was mentioned. They have a men's group, a women's group, and a single mother's group. They normally meet on different days. But for our St. John's group in the second week, they had the, uh, twice actually, they had them all gather on the same day so that we could interact with them. And uh, when the St. John's group was there, they, opened, they always opened those groups with a Bible study. And so we did a group Bible study with the three groups, our St. John's team, and the amazing staff of Agape Farm, who are all Malawians, most of whom are in their 20s. Incredible staff. And so we had this big group Bible study. Well, ironically or providentially, the passage we did our Bible study on was the parable of the talents from Matthew, which is Matthew's version of the exact same gospel we heard this morning. It doesn't have all the stuff about the royal authority, but it has all the same stuff about a master giving slaves money to see what they do with it. In the gospel, just an aside, the gospel today, Jesus really represents, as, as reprehensible as parts of that story seem, Jesus is that figure, and it's really about Jesus journeying to Jerusalem and is about to be rejected. And it's a story about how, what, it's a question about what do we do with the gifts we are given. And that was the essence of the parable. It's a little cleaner in Matthew. The master gives the slaves talents and goes away and comes back and asks what they have done with them. One has turned it into ten talents. One has turned it into five talents. One wrapped it up and buried it and then gave it back. The point of the story is really about 
how do we use the gifts God gives us? Or do we not use them? And are we open to transformation? That's kind of what it's about. But it was fascinating to hear the comments from the poorest people I have ever met in my life reflecting on this passage and on this parable of the talents. And there are three things they said that really struck me. The first thing one of the men's group members said was, be grateful for what you have. Be grateful for what you have. And it really hit me because here is someone who in my mind has so little. Talking about gratitude. And how sometimes those of us who have so much struggle with gratitude. And maybe the reason Jesus spoke about money so much is sometimes that clouds our vision and we think it takes on its own worth or defines our worth. So that sense of be grateful for what you have. The second comment that really struck me was someone said, work hard so you can provide for others. So much of their focus is on being able to provide for their families. I've never had to worry about whether my children are going to eat dinner. And not that that doesn't happen in this country. It obviously does. But they heard basically the same passage we heard today. Be grateful for what you have. Work hard. Not just work hard. Work hard so you can provide for others. The point was to multiply the gifts, not for yourself, but so that you could share them to help address the needs of others. And the third one was reflecting on the slave who hid the talent. Do not be afraid. Don't let your actions be determined by or driven by fear, but rather by faith in God. It takes the whole world to know the whole gospel. And part of what I feel my heart opened to in Malawi was hearing in a powerful way that gospel. Be grateful for what you have. Work hard so that you can serve others and do not be afraid.